This morning's reading is from the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. We had the pleasure of having Reverend Nathan Newman bring the message this morning. Nathan and his wife, Jessica, are neighbors of the Chung's, living a couple of doors down from them. And they have seen uh, Evan and Ashley grow up uh, these last uh, six, seven years. So uh, it's really a pleasure to have him uh, come and, and open the Word of God to us this morning. Nathan was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama, by parents whose faithful influence, along with the prayers of many in his local church, taught him at a young age what it meant to follow Jesus. He attended Covenant College, Lookout Mountain, Georgia, where he met Jessica and later earned his Master's of Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary here in D.C. Nathan serves as a minister to members of Congress with the Presbyterian Church in America Ministry to State. Prior to joining MTS, Nathan served for nearly a decade on the pastoral staff of McLean Presbyterian Church. He also serves as an Air Force Reserve Chaplain at Arlington National Cemetery. Jess and Nathan have two daughters, Della and Pippa, and when we invited him uh, to speak, Nathan said it was a privilege for him to share God's word with the people at WCF. And it's a privilege to have you open the word of God for us. Amen. Let me pray for him and then he will open the word of God for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, Father, we ask that you would speak through your servant Nathan, that you would open our ears to hear your word, and Holy Spirit, that you would come and touch our hearts, that we might be more like our master, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. <clears throat> God knows that we need his peace and comfort this morning. Uh, just a few Days ago, uh, I uh, was supposed to be somewhere else in D.C., but uh, ended up canceling that meeting and just stayed at home and walked out the door and saw Andrew uh, with tears in his eyes who told me the news that no father should ever tell another person. And we just stood there and embraced and cried tears as there's no words to express the great grief that his family was experiencing. 
And the only words that came to my mind then were the words from this powerful psalm. I don't know where you turn to in those moments of grief, but throughout the history of Christianity, Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved psalms to turn to. And it was where I turned to in that moment of great grief. Today is not a happy Father's Day for your dear pastor. And we mourn with the Chung family today. Several years ago, I heard a powerful sermon from another beloved pastor named John Piper. And his opening words were astonishing to the crowd of more than 10,000 pastors who are gathered there, where he said, I am amazed that I'm still a Christian. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. He talked about the days that his marriage, his church, even his own soul was under attack. And he said, if any of those things were up to, decisively up to me, then I should have ceased to be a Christian a long time ago. I have no doubt about that at all. And so what was it? What is it that has sustained his faith throughout all the years? We just sang about it. It is the grace of God alone. Jude 24 says that God alone is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He has promised that he will keep his people. He has promised that he will be with his people. And I don't know about you, but I've wrestled over the last few years whether that is true. Wrestled like Jacob. Is God truly with us? And like Jacob, many of us carry wounds into this sanctuary this morning. We, we come limping like Jacob. And this church family we know will never be the same. This family will never be the same. They will be forever changed. But as one wise counselor has said, there are some things that you never move on from, but you do learn to carry them differently. And I want to spend a few moments in this precious psalm that has meant so much to many. We know that it's probably the first psalm that's memorized when you are a child, and it is some of the last words that are on our lips for those who pass away. As I said, I'm a chaplain at Arlington Cemetery, and this is without a doubt the most common passage that is requested to be read at the graveside of people who are buried at Arlington National Cemetery. We ask, why? What is in these words that is so meaningful to so many, especially those who are in that darkest of valleys? So it's my prayer that these words, not mine, but from God alone, will help us answer that question as we look together at God's word from Psalm 23. Would you bow your heads and pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, would you make this word profitable to us? Would you help me to preach? Help us all to listen and help us to see you. Speak to us, O Lord, even at times in your silence. We ask your blessing 
on our time together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're a note taker, we've just got one point this morning, and then we're going to understand what it means for us and apply it to us at the end. But it's really simple, that God is with his people. God is with his people. And if there's one verse that has meant so much to me over these past few years, it's verse four from this beloved psalm. Let me read it again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it's important for us to understand the context in which this passage takes place, which is not much different than our context here today. The psalmist is not talking about the possibility of suffering, but the inevitability of suffering. The reality of suffering. Suffering is a universal human experience. And it can look like different things. We just dismissed the children, but some of them are experiencing suffering in schools from a bully, where their heart races every time they enter into that school ground that should be a safe place because of someone who has tormented them. Of course, we understand suffering as that body, mind, physical struggle, that damaging sickness. It can be systemic racism or you're dealing with suffering just because of the color of your skin or human betrayal. Someone who has betrayed you that was so close to you, a spouse, a loved one, a best friend. We all understand in our own way suffering in this world, the inevitability of suffering. And I don't know all of your stories here this morning, but I do know some of them. And maybe you're here and you still feel these last few weeks that the weight of the world is on your shoulder, like it's too heavy to carry, that you're in that valley. Well, God's word has a great word for us here today. I want you to just picture for a moment David, this young boy, he grew up as a shepherd tending to his father's flock. And so he had time to observe that relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And so I want you to consider yourself for a moment like that sheep in need of a great shepherd. And what is the posture that you see of this person, this shepherd walking through the valley in verse four. Just imagine with me for a moment. You're in this deep valley of suffering. And at least in my mind, just you can feel the oppression. You know, it's, we've had a very mild June, but you can feel the heat of that, that valley, the weight of the world on the shoulders. But that's not the posture that the psalmist depicts for us. This psalm pictures that young shepherd boy, David, with his eyes fixed on forever. He's looking straight ahead with his head held high. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's looking ahead. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with him. There's this fearless confidence in the shepherd who is not waiting on the other side of the valley. Our God, the creator of the world and everything in it, is unlike no other God because he is with us in this story. He's not a cheerleader on the other end of this valley saying, I hope you make it through. I'm praying for you. I'm going to encourage you in this time. No, this psalm tells us that God is with us. God is with us in this valley. A beautiful picture of God's assurance, his comfort, that we don't have to be afraid. David is not saying this out of his own self-confidence or his ability. He is saying this because he knows who the shepherd is. The shepherd who knows him by name. And we see this in that even the very personal shift of pronouns. The, the first few verses of Psalm 23 are in the third person, but it shifts to the personal pronouns. For you are with me. Certainly corporately as David has in mind, but also individually as well that God would be with David himself. And why should David fear when he knows that the shepherd is with him? He knows the way. And I love the image as it shifts from a shepherd to one of a banquet. The hospitality feast that we see on display and we'll experience together in just a moment. Where God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The greatest enemy of which is death. And again, we picture David. David is not afraid. He's surrounded by his enemies on every side. And yet they are resting, resting in the great love of God and the presence of his spirit with them. I can't say it any better than my five-year-old Della did the other night when we were putting her to bed and Jess was trying to explain to her in words, that only a five-year-old can comprehend what a pastor like Andrew does and what his family was experiencing. And Jess said, Della, dad is a pastor like Andrew. What does a pastor do? And she replied, he helps remind people that they are okay and that God is with them. And I know that that is what Andrew has been teaching you as a congregation since 2018 when his family arrived. But he and his family are going to need you to remind them of that great and profound truth as well, that God is with them. And once you see this theme throughout Scripture, you can't unsee it. This is what it was for me, that God is with his people. So if you're interested, write down some of these verses and Tell me if this theme doesn't jump off the page like it did to me. We're going to look at Exodus 33. We're going to flip through and look through some of these passages together. You see this theme, Exodus 33. 
I'll start in verse 14. Moses is interceding for his people. They've just received the law, and yet you look a chapter or two before and you see the golden calf. They've fallen into idolatry only a short time out of Egypt. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He is God there. And he said to him, this is Moses saying to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from there. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses is saying, I don't want to go if you're not there with me, God. And God says, it will be so. I will be with you. And I know you by name. Deuteronomy. Let's see, do we have enough time to do some of these? I think we do. Larry said, Andrew usually preaches about 50 minutes, right? Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Joshua to Moses, this great succession. Familiar words from Joshua 1, 9, but here too, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, as the Canaanites, for the Lord your God is with you, who goes with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Isaiah 41, 10. Isaiah 41.10. We're testing our sword drill skills here. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Fear not, for I am with you. Of course, this 23rd Psalm here. The beautiful words, let's go to the New Testament. Matthew 1. First few words of the New Testament. Matthew 1, 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. The end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. This is the last one for now, but I promise you, when you read the Scriptures from beginning to end, you'll see this theme over and over. As Jesus has commissioned His disciples, He promises, verse 18, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. The story that is retold throughout Scripture is that God is with His people no matter the circumstances, wherever they are, 
God promises to be with His people. I had the privilege of meeting the youngest Medal of Honor recipient a few years ago, a guy by the name of Kyle Carpenter. And he was awarded the Medal of Honor for uh, throwing himself on top of a grenade to save a fellow Marine. He spent over three years at Walter Reed, 40 surgeries later, immense trials. Has a really amazing story and quite a self-depreciating humor. If you read his book, uh, he said this, jumping on a grenade really changed my life, which is an understatement <laughs> of the century. <clears throat> but he, his book is entitled, You Are Worth It, Building a Life Worth Fighting For. And he told a story about uh, how he was going to speak at a conference. And as, as often happens for military service members, especially those who clearly wear the visible wounds of war on their bodies, people will say often, thank you for your service. And, you know, you got to have your line. You know, thanks, I, I really appreciate it. It's my privilege. Is the most common refrain uh, for those service members. But Kyle waited and, and there was something different about that conversation as he'd, he'd been reflecting on his service. And instead, he replied to this, this cab driver, you are worth it. You are worth protecting. You are worth fighting for. You are worth the time that I spent in my hospital bed, the deep scars that are on my body. You are. Why? How could he respond in such a way as he, he wore the visible wounds of war on his body? And this is what he said. When you know that a person is willing to be with you in the fight, no matter how unpleasant the circumstances, you begin to view your circumstances differently. A great leader communicates to you by his or her actions that you are worth their time their energy, and their sacrifice. And he had served with great leaders, great warriors, who embodied what Jesus said in John 15, that greater love has no man than this, and that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Psalm 23 gives us that beautiful picture of that warrior shepherd, the shepherd who promises to be with his people no matter the circumstances. And later in John, Jesus comes and he says to his people, I am the good shepherd who laid down my life for his sheep. It's a beautiful theme that we see throughout the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that God is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Genesis 18.15, God has been my shepherd all lifelong to this day till consummation in Revelation 17.7. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Understanding that God will be with us in the valleys is the only way that we can make sense of this good world turned bad because of sin, because of the fall, because of the effects that we see in our bodies, in our minds, in our communities. The question is not, 
if trials will come, but when? How will we respond? There will be more diagnoses. There will be tragedies that your own family will face. There will be more diseases, another pandemic, wars and rumors of war. And I know that many of you are are not unacquainted with grief as well. My youngest brother, Philip, died of a rare form of bone cancer when he was just 26 years old in June 2020. About 10 days later, our youngest daughter was born. We call her Philippa. Uh, Pippa is what we call her, named after my brother. But I want to tell you a story about him and how he responded to suffering before he passed. He received the news that no cancer patient ever wants to hear that the cancer was indeed spreading. In his words, it was not the news that we were hoping for. The doctor stated that the scans looked the same as two months ago. But despite this news today, God is still good. And my healing is promised, whether it be here or in heaven. How could he say that? How could Kyle say this? How could David say this? Have confidence in their shepherd that God would be with them. They believe the news that even in the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with them. Now, we may never fully understand the events of this world, the, the trials, the great sufferings that we have in this life, but we know that they are not trivial to God. And they are not the end of the story either. How do we know that? Because even in the very beginning, in Genesis 3, just after Adam and Eve have fallen, it's not their own merits that restore them to God. But what are the very first words to God, to them in Genesis 3, as they hid themselves from Him? Where are you? God, our Father in heaven, He pursues His people from beginning to end, running after them, with them in the midst of the garden, in the midst of their great valley and suffering. He pursues His people. He fulfills His promise. As He promised to be with us in that great psalm, He did just that when He entered into time and space and became Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin. That same Son, Jesus, He suffered and died so that we might have salvation, redemption in His name. Beautiful story from beginning to end of God pursuing a people to be with Him. The Bible teaches us how to respond to our trials. And in the military, they always teach you to fall back on your training. You know, no matter what happens, you'll fall back on your training. People don't just jump on grenades uh, after all. And so we need to do that as well as Christians to train ourselves up, to remind ourselves whether we're experiencing suffering or whether that suffering is to come, to be ready for when it does. To be reminded how God being with us changes us. Okay, so I just want to look at three quick points of application as we we conclude our time. The first is this. If God is with us, then we don't have to be afraid. 
If God is with us, then we don't have to be afraid. God may not remove us from our trials. That's what's depicted here in this psalm, verse 5. David's not praying, God, take me out of here, out of this situation, this circumstance. But he's praying, God, be with me in the midst of it. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Give me rest. How are you using your trial, your suffering? How is God using that in your life for good and for His glory? We see this beautiful idea here in the psalm so that we can rest in Him. Maybe that's what C.S. Lewis had in mind when he said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What would it look like for us to give our rest and our fear to Him? To rest in Him knowing that we don't have to be afraid because God is with us. Second is this. If God has provided for His people in the past, and we know He has, then we can trust Him with our future. If God has provided for His people in the past, we can trust Him for our future. Again, it would seem like it would be quite a chaotic scene in verse 5 to be surrounded by enemies. And yet, David is relaxed. He's not frightened, but he's trusting in God's hospitality. He's trusting not in his own gifts or accomplishments, but in the grace of God to be with him and to sustain him in his great trials. He is loving and faithful so we can entrust our lives to him. That's exactly what Jesus did when he endured the trials of the crucifixion. 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. When Jesus suffered, this is what he did. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So whether we're in that valley or whether we're surrounded by enemies, God is providing for us and he's provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Trials will do one of two things. They will either drive you into despair or they will drive you deeper into the arms of God. Someone once, once told me, the person who endures trials is closer to understanding the heart of God than the person who is not in a trial. And the late Tim Keller put it like this, Christianity teaches that suffering is meaningful, that it is purposeful, And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. And that's my prayer for this congregation, that God would give you power through His Spirit more than you can imagine as you run deep into His arms, as we each together are reminded That God is not far off. He's not distant. But that He is with us in our suffering. If you've never understood the trials that Jesus 
endured to rescue us from our sins, today is a great day to become a Christian. Because I can't understand the world, the suffering that we experience apart from the love of God and His grace. Like Pastor John, I would have left the faith many, many years ago if not for the grace of God to sustain us, to be with us, to be our present help in times of need. Believe in your heart that God raised His Son Jesus from the dead and you will be saved in this day. We're called to repent, to turn our eyes to Him, to not be fixed on our own suffering, our own circumstances, not to be stuck in that valley, but to be reminded that He is with us in the midst of it, that He is holding our hand, walking with us side by side. Grace exploded onto the scene like a cosmic grenade 2,000 years ago when Jesus endured the cross, when He came to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved to give us resurrection hope. He said, as it were, you are worth it. You are worth dying for. You're worth the great wounds and the scars on my body. You're worth the trials that I endured. And I promise that I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that it would be so that you would help us to find our rest, that you would restore our souls. Lord, that we would not be afraid this morning because we know that you promised to be with us and you prepare a table before us. You remind us that your cup overflows. And so we ask, Lord, that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life that our gaze will be fixed on forever. We will dwell forever in heaven with you. We thank you that we can experience a piece of that heaven, a taste even of that great feast, the supper of the Lamb, even today, together, reminded of your love and your sacrifice for us through your son Jesus and his suffering on the cross, in whose name we pray. Amen.